it has been six weeks since we last recorded. And what have you started doing recently? I have started intermittent fasting again. Because for some reason, I just gained loads of weight. I just don't know what happened. But you know what happened. Well, actually, okay, I do know what happened. I, I, I didn't know what happened until I edited the last recording. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I ate all those ice creams. <laughs> Which I had totally forgotten about, but they were really delicious. But yeah, I actually really did gain quite a surprising amount of weight. And well, I'm still quite thin, but relative to my normal thinness, there was noticeable <laughs> belly developing. So I thought I'd better do something about it before it got out of hand. But your intermittent fasting is quite severe. Well, no, I mean, it's just literally intermittent fasting. It's just twice a week, don't eat anything all day. But even when people are involved, so you'll be out socialising, but you'll still say no. I mean, I did do intermittent fasting in the past for non-weight loss related reasons. Because there was this BBC documentary a few years back about how intermittent fasting was meant to be healthy for you and help you live longer and make you mentally sharper or something. I don't know. They just invented all these things that intermittent fasting supposedly did for you, which may or may not have been true and possibly entirely made up. But still, after this documentary, loads of people started intermittent fasting, including me. But I eventually stopped just because it was really inconvenient. And it is actually sometimes really inconvenient because, you know, you go out and they'll be like, oh, what are you eating? It's like, oh, I'm not eating today. I'm just <laughs> watching. Like, I'm just watching today. Yeah. And, and then they'll be like, what? That's so unhealthy. It's like, what? I'm fasting. And they're like, how can you be fasting? You look like a stick. I don't know. It's quite antisocial, really. It is actually quite antisocial. I mean, that's why I stopped in the first place. Also, because I wanted the excuse to eat more ice creams. <laughs> the only good thing about intermittent fasting is that you are literally meant to eat like anything you want on the non-fasting days. So it's like today I'm fasting and then tomorrow I'm just going to eat like five donuts and that's totally okay. But I, I, I just get judged at both ends of the spectrum because you've got people who are going, oh, that's so unhealthy. You need to eat. You need to eat. You're going to starve to death. I'm like, no, no, I'm fasting today. And then the next day I'm eating a donut. They're like, oh, you're so unhealthy. How can you eat all those sweets? You had a double cheeseburger for lunch and now you're eating a donut. And I'm like, yeah, I was fasting yesterday. It's like, that doesn't counteract it. It's like, no, it really does. The whole point is that I get to eat this donut today. There was actually a joke at work because... Everyone in the team now has bizarre dietary requirements. There's the keto people who are no carbs. There are the vegetarians who are no meat. And then there's, of course, me, who is just no food. Or all the food. <laughs> or, or all the food, that's true. Well, on the all the food days, I, you know, I'm, I'm very easy to accommodate. Then you just shout, I need all the food. I need all the food. I'm sorry, we can't go to this restaurant. It looks too healthy. Can we go to that one where everything's deep fried? So how is it working out for you? Uh, it's going okay, actually. My body fat has been dropping. My belly has been reducing. I don't yet have a six pack. But <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. I mean, I am getting kind of fed up of it already. <laughs> it is a bit of a faff. You know what? Today was meant to be a fasting day. But then I thought, do I really want to try and record the podcast when I've been fasting? Or will it make me dull and slow-witted? So in the end, I ate one Weetabix and drank a cup of coffee. So you did fast today. Well, actually, no. And I had some fish for lunch. Because I didn't want to be completely antisocial. But I think you are technically allowed to eat like 600-ish calories. So it's probably fine. Yeah, you are. But it depends whether you count it or not, right? Well, I mean, you saw this documentary too, right? It was like all the rage a while back. Was it a Horizon documentary? It was indeed Horizon. But I saw people eat apple skins. Yeah. And discard the, the flesh. Just peeled, that was mad. They just peeled apples and then threw the apples away and eat. They, they just peeled apples and then threw the apples away and ate the skins. Which is really wasteful. Yes, it is. That's the problem. This is why I wouldn't actually be able to do that. It's just so wasteful. Anyway, there you go. We'll report back next week or next time. <laughs> like, so I bought 15 ice creams. 
and the fast is over. <laughs> the fast is over. Now it's about how fast I can eat these ice creams. <laughs> All right, enough about me. Let's talk about you. So, Ting, you have a Fantasia. I do have a Fantasia. How did you hear about a Fantasia the first time? Not the fifth time, the first time. I first heard about a Fantasia on a Carl Sagan 42 Mario Maker Troll video, which is, of course, where I get all my news from now. He was playing a bunch of troll levels, and there were still like 20 minutes left in the video. And then he just started talking. He wasn't playing any more levels. And he just started talking and said, Okay, everyone in chat, I want you to visualize a red star. Okay, visualize a red star. Think about it. And then he put up these six pictures of increasingly janky red stars. So like the first one was literally just a five-pointed star that was red, solid red. And then they kind of got fuzzier or fainter until like the last one was basically just black with a really faint and blurry outline in like pinkish red of a star. And he said, okay, now tell the truth. When you imagine that red star, which did you see? And everyone in chat, of course, just says the red star, number one. And he's going, bullshit, <laughs> no one saw this. Like, basically, Carl Sagan 42 has aphantasia. Like, he literally cannot visualize stuff. And so that's where I first heard about it. And then since then, I've seen everyone in the world talking about this phenomenon. Like, I mean, that itself is a phenomenon. It's the Bader Meinhof effect, isn't it? Yeah. You're like, I have no idea he's talking about. I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Bader Meinhof effect is when you hear about something and then you start to see it slash hear about it everywhere. So suddenly on Reddit, everybody seemed to be talking about Aphantasia. Only in your subreddits, though. It wasn't like today I learned and stuff. I don't know. Well, actually, and in the comments of other sections, people would suddenly reference aphantasia and then people would discover the concept of aphantasia and then realize that they had aphantasia. The concept of aphantasia seems really, really bizarre to me because obviously I can just visualize whatever. The idea of visualizing whatever sounds really bizarre to me. I can't imagine a world where I can visualize with my eyes shut. I, I literally don't understand. Because sometimes you close your eyes when you're concentrating on something. What are you doing when that happens? I'm literally concentrating on something because it's a void. I, I, I just don't know what to say. And that's what makes it easy to concentrate. What, I mean, when, when you're concentrating, what do you visualise? Obviously, it depends on what I'm trying to do. So, I mean, if it's like a maths problem, either just blackness and I'm trying to shut everything out or some visual representation of the problem including for example literally just the equation written down oh that's not fair is it I feel, I feel like this explains a lot <laughs> what <laughs> this, this is this is this is obviously <laughs> what, what do you mean what it's actually fairly obvious what I'm saying <laughs> I don't know, man. Dude, well, I, well, I want to know about what the origin is of aphantasia and how it spread into the popular culture all of a sudden. But no one knows. I don't know. I don't know who is the, the instigator of this current wave of aphantasia knowledge. Because I first came across this in a BBC article when they were talking to the Pixar, one of the Pixar directors, and he was saying that he has aphantasia and he can't visualize things. That seems so odd. You'd think that that job would require you to visualize stuff. No, I can see it. I can see that its advantages. I don't know. Maybe there are no advantages to it. Maybe it's just literally not required. I mean, it could possibly be that visualizing is actually detrimental. For example, despite my earlier teasing, like, think about it. People who read by sub-vocalising, by literally, maybe not necessarily sub-vocalising, but in their head, reading out the words, you know, with their inner voice, read much more slowly than people who don't do that. If you are able to read without mentally hearing each word, you can read way faster 
Yes. But a lot of people can't read without that inner voice. I feel like there's a conversation for another time. But maybe aphantasia is a similar thing. If you're not wasting time building a visual representation of it and you can just abstractly manipulate the concept without having to have that visual representation, maybe that's faster and more efficient. Maybe aphantasia is actually the good thing to have. (laughs) You're so kind. But maybe I'm just trying to make you feel better. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. I have with me tonight, Sir Michael. Hello. And myself. Tingathy. Do you not have to say hello? Hello. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We're a book club for games. We're a book club for games. We're a book club for games. (laughs) We are a book club for games. (laughs) This is the increasingly inaccurate tagline for this podcast that you had to say multiple times because you know if you say it enough people will start to believe it this was meant to be a book club episode but you did not finish the book club game in time so this is actually now a news catch-up episode which is actually quite appropriate because we have a lot to catch up on given that it's been six weeks since we last recorded so what are we going to catch up on E3 and all the surprises. E3 and all those that weren't surprises. No, <laughs> fine. <laughs> Next gen load times. Postponements for work life balance. Subtitles. And the Steam Summer Sale. Which is clearly all about Team Corgi and the injustice and then terrifying resurgence. And then actually, who knows now because it's not over yet. It's not over yet. We might take it all back in the next step. So, E3 surprises. Actually, are these all E3 surprises, or are these just surprises that happened in the last six weeks? Most of them are E3. Yes. Most of them are surprises. I think let's just talk about them, and people can judge. Yep. So the first one, the sequel to Breath of the Wild is now in development. That came out of nowhere. People said, oh, it's not Breath of the Wild 2. It's a sequel to the Breath of the Wild. What's the difference there? I don't know. I think those people are smoking crack. They're like, that, those are the same thing. It's not... <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Can, can you just repeat that sentence? Because my brain is just... It's, it's exactly what you heard. It's not Breath of the Wild 2. It's a sequel to Breath of the Wild. I would actually say it's the opposite. It is Breath of the Wild 2. It's not the sequel to Breath of the Wild. Although, obviously, Nintendo's statement literally said the sequel to Breath of the Wild is now in development. But think about it from a literal standpoint. Consider, what is the sequel to A Link to the Past? As you don't know. Well, okay. The next mainline Zelda game on a console was Ocarina of Time. I think, unless I've probably forgotten a few, but let's just just say that's the case, right? So the sequel to A Link to the Past is Ocarina of Time. And Ocarina of Time is not A Link to the Past 2. Uh But this game looks very much like Breath of the Wild 2. It's set in the same world, it looks like. Oh, now you're making me overthink it now. So it appears to be a direct continuation of Breath of the Wild. Okay. Anyway, semantics and splitting hairs aside, I'm kind of surprised they've done this, but I guess they thought they can milk more from the rich world that they made. 
which is probably true. I mean, it was a very well-crafted world. A few people have made comparisons to Majora's Mask, which was a Zelda game where they just reused a lot of the assets from Ocarina of Time, but had a different plot. So I guess it's possible that they're just reusing a lot of the assets, but it's not actually story-wise connected, but it really looks like it's connected story-wise. It really looks like the physical body of Ganon, as in the King of the Gerudo, you know, humanoid Ganon, rather than the freaky dark beast pig calamity Ganon thing that we had in Breath of the Wild. It looks like his physical body, which is being, you know, sealed by some ancient magic and then the seal breaks and ganon escapes and now we're going to have another zelda game and there was some quite good analysis by a whole bunch of youtubers who have you know who have quite they, they've literally poured over the video in great detail and translated the it turns out that green swirly thing in the video is actually writing and it just says seal in many different languages in hyrule Okay. And they've gone and said the being who's being held down by that green ceiling spiral is Ganon. Possibly the Ganon from Twilight Princess. Hmm. Anyway, I'll put a link in the show notes to one of these videos. So did you come across the Kotaku article that mentioned they just had too many ideas for DLC? Nope. <laughs> and that's... No, that's their reason for making the sequel. Well, that's cool. I mean, I'll okay. I'll find and read the article, and I'll put that in the show notes too. All I hope for is that it'll come round quicker than Half Life Three. Yes. Okay. I mean, we could speculate a lot about what's going to be in that game, but let's not do that. We've got a lot to cover. Okay. Next up, Collection of Mana. What is this? This is a bundle of the first three mana games. So, Saiken Densetsu 1, 2, and 3 in Japan. Or Mystic Quest, Secret of Mana, and Trials of Mana in the West. At least I think that's what the first one is called in the West. (laughs) It's 40 USD, which is pretty outrageous, to be honest. But I actually bought it on day one because I was that excited that it had released. So this caught me completely off guard. In 2017, they released a compilation of the first three mana games in Japan. And people were saying, will they bring this to the West? Probably not, because there's no translation of, you know, Saiken Densetsu 3. And for over 20 years, the West has not had an official version of, you know, the third Mana game. And apparently it's an amazing game, because, you know, it's the sequel to Secret of Mana, which is an amazing action RPG. It's in my, you know, top games of all time list. And although there has been a fan translation patch... Now there's an official release, so I was really excited and I bought it. Even though 40 USD is pretty outrageous to charge for a, you know, over 20-year-old game. Albeit three of them, but still. It's not too bad. I'm just going to put it in there. Yeah, I think it was just a major surprise that they actually translated this ancient game and then re-released it. And then actually even more so than that, they are doing a complete remake of Trials of Mana as well, which is, you know, the Western name for the third game. So that looks like a complete, complete overhaul. It's not like the kind of lame remake they did of Secret of Mana. Like it's, this is a complete redesign of the entire game. All the systems are different, but it follows the same story and characters. So that's quite surprising too. When's that coming? Oh, sometime in 2020. So, I mean, I guess I could have waited for that, but I didn't want to wait. I'm like, no, I'm going to play the official translation. So I bought it. I've actually finished it, but I'll keep my thoughts on that to myself as well, because we need to keep moving. So next up, Baldur's Gate 3. So this is the non-E3 one. 
Yeah, I, I realized after <laughs> we said E3 surprises that this is actually not E3, but it is surprising. Yes. So Larry and Studios are making it. And then there was speculation about whether they were making Divinity 3, whether it was Baldur's Gate 3. And it turns out it's Baldur's Gate 3. Massive curveball. Yeah, because I thought it was going to be Divinity 3. I thought people were talking out there behinds when they said oh it's Baldur's Gate 3 because they teased it on their website before the Stadia announcement which was a week before E3 but you have questions well what makes it Baldur's Gate 3 because it's not a direct continuation of the storyline from the first two games it's set in the same universe it's set in the same setting you know, the the Forgotten Realms, Faerun, I believe it's called, the world. But we're not continuing the story of, you know, the Baalspawn. This is a completely new story. I think it's like a hundred years later. Is that right? Yeah, that's what I heard. But these characters live for long periods of time. Well, some of them do. Well, like the elves certainly do. So... So maybe we'll bump into, say, Viconia again. But all the humans are going to be, well, probably dead. But you'll have their children. Well, you won't have the children, but their children will be there. But that's such a cop-out. Lame. It's It's like how in the Star Wars films, all the heroes are Skywalkers or something in some way. Okay, maybe that's not true. But (laughs) I don't know. It's just lazy. Lazy. Make new characters. No, it's fine. Everyone, everyone wants some fan service. Everyone wants some connection to the old ones. Yeah, who, who will we see? I don't know. Maybe Edwin will be in it, but he'll be a lich or something. I mean, that would be cool. It would be bad. Lich are bad, right? Yeah, but he was, he's lawful evil, so it's totally fine for him to be a lich. He'd be like, I'm not dying. Dying's for chumps. Just saying, I would totally be a lich. So you, you run an evil party then? No, actually, I don't. I run a, I run a good party. I just feel bad. I just feel bad doing bad things. I actually, I actually tried role playing as a lawful evil character, but it's surprisingly difficult. Does it really matter? I just feel vaguely guilty, like screwing people over. I, I should just try harder. I think I just naturally. I usually play like chaotic good because it just generally means you can do whatever feels right to you. But I think it probably is fun to try and play a role i mean when we said we were going to try and do Baldur's gate 2 as the book club game i think i did try and make a character who was lawful evil but you know i didn't get that deep into it speaking of which have you almost finished no oh, i don't know I, i've i'm out of the underdark i am out in the the city again but there's so much stuff still to do it's a long game you need to finish it before the third one comes out i just hope they delay it then so have you played any of the divinity original sin games i have played 90 percent of divinity original sin the first one but not the whatever the enhanced or remastered edition is like the the original kickstarter release one i've played the majority of but i haven't finished and i've played about an hour of divinity original sin 2 not because it's bad or boring, but literally because it's like, whoa, I can see this game has a lot of options and is going to be a major, major time sink. So I didn't want to pull the trigger and really get deep into it. And one last thing. Do you know what happened with the Baldur's Gate 3 license? Oh no, I say the Baldur's Gate license. I thought Be- Beamdog had it. Why did I think Beamdog had it? That is an interesting point. Because they clearly do have the license in some form because they've made the remakes and they actually made a new installment, Siege of Dragonspear. But I don't know. Or or is it something like Wizards of the Coast have the license and they just allowed Beamdog to make those remakes and that one extra installment? And if Beamdog had asked to make Baldur's Gate 3, maybe they would have said yes. But maybe they did ask and they said no because they wanted something different. I don't know. I've done no research on this. I'm just making it up as I go along. So Larry and Studios put together like a, a mock video about how they got the license. 
Yeah, I watched that. <laughs> I thought that was quite silly. It was quite silly. But I I actually found it surprisingly entertaining. I actually subscribed to their YouTube channel after that. But I'll subscribe to anything, so that doesn't really mean much. <laughs> Who'd have thought? It's <laughs> a low bar. I've got like 200 subscriptions or something. Like, whatever. We should move on. Elden Ring. What about Elden Ring? All I know is that it's a new game from From Software and George R.R. Martin is contributing to the writing. So that'll be cool. Although, on the other hand, why is he not writing the next Song of Ice and Fire book? Finish that first, please. Never mind. Yeah, so we're going to get another Souls-like of some sort but with George R.R. R. Martin coming up with a plot. I mean, that sounds cool. These are two things I don't, I don't connect with, so I'll leave you to hype it up. Hype? Yeah, I don't know. It could be good. I mean, maybe it won't be, because does George R.R. R. Martin's writing style fit with the Soulsborn genre? I can imagine it will work well. I mean, we'll see. But I like A Song of Ice and Fire, and I like the Souls games. So put those together. Hopefully, hopefully it will be like, say, chocolate and peanut butter, and not like chocolate and bacon. <laughs> On the next episode, we'll be trying out chocolate and bacon as our it's a food, food challenge. challenge. <laughs> Had a good run there for a while. Now it's all right. Bombings. And people thrown in cages like animals. Oh, and who could forget the killer robots everywhere? So yeah, that's all gone a bit shit. It's up to us to take our city back. Is. We can't do it alone. We need to recruit a resistance. Okay, so next up is our E3 Game Critic Award nominee highlights. Is that where is that the categorization of these next ones? Okay. <laughs> yes. Ten US, I know. Watchdogs Legion. Watchdogs Legion. I think this looks surprisingly good. I actually watched the reveal and I watched some gameplay footage afterwards where they were talking through, you know, a bit more of what it's like to play and you can recruit anybody, like anybody can be a playable character. I thought that was quite interesting. And London is very recognizably London. Like a lot of areas from the game as they were playing it, I was actually thinking, I've been there. I know what that looks like, and it actually looks quite a lot like that. So they go to the stables in Camden, or they're in Piccadilly Circus, and I was actually thinking, wow, how much of London have they modelled? Will I be able to go and see my house? Or at least the one I used to live in? What do you think? I think I might be able to. I mean, I don't know how accurate it will be, but I used to live in a flat just off a major road in the middle of London. So, you know, I can see my house from here. Isn't that, isn't that a phrase? So maybe I'll actually be able to go there and it'll be cool. Although, I suspect that other than major landmarks, you're going to get just some cookie-cutter geometry. Like, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look like vaguely correct style of building, but it's not going to be like the real thing other than major landmarks, I suspect. We shall see. Just because, well, there's no point going and modelling every building in London. Like, who's going to appreciate that unless you happen to live in London? <laughs> it's true. It probably doesn't look as interesting as they want it to. So you saw the gameplay. I only saw the trailer. The trailer looked very mad. How did it, <laughs> how did it play? I mean, it looked very mad when they were playing it too. I like, I like the bit where they just recruit the grandma 
They're just playing yes. as the grandma. I was told she has her own animation. It's not just a grandma skin. Yeah, she's like dodgering around and she's like reaching into a handbag and pulling out a gun. But she goes slow. Yeah. And next question I had for you. Did you notice any accents? Oh, man. <laughs> That's a good point. I'm not sure how I'm going to deal with the accents. I'm going to be like, this is not an authentic London accent. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I wasn't triggered by any accents that I heard. I I didn't hear anything that was like, this is breaking my immersion. I feel they have a great opportunity to really just have fun with the accents. I mean, the thing is, basically any accent is an acceptable London accent, right? Like, so many people live in London from so many places, so they can have people sound like pretty much anything they want and it will be okay. I always wonder whether there'll be a higher proportion of Cockney accents than I am usually exposed to. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that is the problem. The, the problem is more likely to be that everyone's going to sound like a Cockney. And it'd be like, no, Londoners don't really all sound like that. Maybe they do. We just don't hang out with them. Yeah, we've been gone too long. I mean, since, since we left, now everyone speaks in Cockney. So the foreigners don't understand. I, I would drop some rhyming slang, but I actually literally can't remember any. <laughs> Sorry. I actually think my accent has drifted. Several people have asked if I'm Australian or American. I'm mildly offended. Yeah, you're too miserable to sound American or Australian. <laughs> Thanks, Ding. Should we move on? Yes. Final Fantasy VII? Remake. So what do you think about this? I've kind of changed my mind about this. When I heard that it was going to be the sort of real-time battle system that they have in Kingdom Hearts slash FF15. And when I heard it was going to be episodic, I thought this was just a disgusting lowest common denominator cash grab. But actually now I think it's actually quite a good idea and they're going to do it in a tasteful way. Tasteful is such a dumb word to use there, but I'm not going to stick with it. So, I mean, if you look at Final Fantasy VII... Now, it has really not aged well. Like You could definitely not just slap some new models in that game and expect people to play it and have fun. Right? It's a really beloved game, but I just don't think it works well today. So you're saying mechanically it doesn't work well? Well, I think mechanically it does work well, but it's not a game that would sell well today. And it will be very hard for modern audiences to get over the bad low poly count characters, you know, like the presentation of it. But they would update that. That's an easy win. As, you know, look at what Nintendo's done. I don't know. I just don't think people will be as accepting of it, even if it looks pretty. I don't think people like turn-based battles anymore. I don't know. I mean, I actually really do like turn-based battles. I actually worry that they're going to lose a lot by changing the battle system. But then I, I think they're going to do it in a sensible way. So it looks like the battle system is literally real-time combat, like Devil May Cry or something. But you can have a tactical pause, kind of like Boulder's Gate. Like you can literally pause the game and it will all freeze, and then you can issue orders to your party to use particular skills. So if you want to use like your limit break or cast magic or something, you can literally use tactical pause and do it. So I actually think you probably can have quite a deep combat system there by having something like that. And I don't know, I was just thinking about the episodic nature of it too. I actually don't think that's necessarily a bad idea either now. I think it probably makes sense in a way. Because Final Fantasy VII was a long game. And the plot is just insane and rambling and the production values that are required now for a AAA game. You know, you would have to make so much given, you know, you literally like cross so much different varied terrain, meet so many different characters and, you know, it, it's just so much to make. And the different kind of acts of Final Fantasy VII really play out in quite a distinct way anyway so if you just had the first act of the game be 
set in Midgar. And then when you leave Midgar, that's like a, you know, that's episode two. That's a sequel. I think that kind of makes sense. Right. I mean, don't think of it as a single game anymore. Think of it as a sequel set in the same universe. Would you pay full price for this then? I don't know. I mean, I'll see how the first one turns out. And then if I buy into it, but consider I just paid 40 USD for a collection of mana. So I'm an idiot sometimes. (laughs) You think it's sometimes. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I I think the changes are probably going to be a good thing. I mean, you know, we've had computer games now for decades and you would not expect someone to take a silent film or something or a film from like the 50s and then remake it with modern actors but in exactly the same style with exactly the same cinematography and like in black and white with bad audio or something right you might remake it and you might keep the spirit of the story or of the plot but it will be a different film and have modern effects whatever you know you'll do what makes it work better for modern audiences or to put a different spin on it again like think of it like the tv series version of a book you know like let's say the original final fantasy 7 on playstation 1 was like a novel and this is going to be a tv adaptation of that novel that's too much i mean that's not really happening you don't think i mean before it was this big weighty tome that was deep but looked bad and now we're going to have a flashy netflix tv series or hbo but you're crossing mediums i don't think i think don't think we're doing that okay i was just trying to make an analogy if it doesn't help you think of it if you can't visualize what i'm trying to say (laughs) it's 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 true (laughs) so i had one last thing which was can a remake ever be amazing in its own right and i wanted to talk about films but we were meant to move quickly oh damn it i kind of wish you'd given me some forewarning of this question because then i would have come up with something we can come back to it i think the answer is yes but i can't think of anything right now (laughs) on that bombshell jedi fallen order this was first shown pre-E3 again. There was no gameplay though, right? It was just cinematic trailer. Yes. And so at E3 they showed gameplay. What was your reaction? It looked, it looked kind of crappy. Yeah, I thought it looked bad. I was just like, this looks lame. This looks like, this looks like it was focus grouped, right? I mean, it's just like, we should be more descriptive. You just appear to be some generic, good-looking dude who's like, you know, your parents would be happy if you dated him or something. And he's just got force powers for no particular reason. Like, he's a little bit vulnerable. He's a little bit, you know, emotional. But he's got force powers and can cut people in half with lightsaber. But actually, no, he can't cut people in half because there's no dismemberment because of LucasArts brand reasons. But it just looked like an uninspired action. Star Wars. It kind of looked like Uncharted, but boring with lightsabers. So the lightsaber combat was bad. I don't know if it was bad, but it looked kind of. It didn't look exciting. No. Your character just seemed to be kind of a little bit whingy, and they just dropped in a whole bunch of. They had that, what, Saw something, forgotten his name, that character who's in Rogue One. Whatever. That guy. It's like they got someone bad to play the game. It's one of those. You think? It was just... I couldn't tell whether the combat was clunky or the whoever was controlling was not doing a good job. It was not flashy. It was not flashy. It just looked... As I said, it just looked bland. It just looked like it was a walk down a corridor, fight some enemies, you have force powers, it's a Jedi power fantasy... Your character is unremarkable. I don't know. Apparently, it's not like that. Supposedly, it's a Metroidvania. 
So maybe the actual game will turn out very differently to what we saw in this demo. Did you watch the extended gameplay demo? Evidently not. It does look more interesting. And the, the spider, spider enemy is just not an interesting enemy, which is unfortunate. Wait, wait, wait. Maybe I did watch the extended gameplay demo and I still thought it looked bad then. I, I remember a longer gameplay demo where he eventually ends up in an area with spider things. Oh, so you have, have you, have you seen the bit where he takes control of an atta or a walker? No. Okay. So there's an even more extended gameplay demo there. It's 25 minutes long. Oh, geez. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Okay. So if it's like Metroid Arkham, it, it could work. Yes. But it's probably not going to be amazing like Arkham or Metroid. Well, we can wait and see. Wake the fuck up, samurai. We have a city to burn. Next up, others, other E3 things. Yeah. Cyberpunk 2077. Why didn't you mention this? You didn't mention this. Okay, so we collated our show notes for things that we thought we'd missed that were worth talking about. And I just made no mention of Cyberpunk 2077, which you thought was noteworthy in itself. Yes. There was no gameplay. It was just cinematic. It was just a cinematic trailer and Keanu Reeves shows up. And Keanu is in the game. Are you excited for Cyberpunk 2077? I mean, I am excited, but it's another game that I'm not sure if I'll ever really get around to playing. I mean, I still haven't managed to play The Witcher 3. I mean, at some point I have to literally just say, I'm never going to get around to playing this game. I should just let it go. So am I really going to make the time to play Cyberpunk? I've heard it's like Deus Ex, Mankind Divided, but it's not just three blocks. It's this it's whole city. Oh man. I mean this is probably literally the sort of game that I really wanted when I was young. This is this is literally like some fantasy game that I am saying like I wish someone would make this game. Like someone has made it. So I really should be really excited for it, but I'm just scared to begin because I just know it's a monster. There's so many games like this. I'm perversely more likely to start a game if I don't think I'll be that into it, because I'll be fine putting it down. Like, I'm just scared to start something that I think will be a game I'll really enjoy that's really, really, really long. You sound like someone who doesn't know how to enjoy life. (laughs) Are you my therapist? (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. Yes, this is a problem I have. Any comments from you? About Cyberpunk, not me. (laughs) I uh, I think it's going to be amazing. When I heard it was Deus Ex, but done properly, in a sprawling city, that sounds exciting and scary. But I don't know, you know, I don't want an immersive sim, by the way. Why not? Because I'll just end up in most, spending most of my time in vents, and that's no fun. Just don't play that kind of character. <laughs> that's how I play, though. That's how it is. Oh. I weirdly usually just put all my points in strength and just like punch everyone <laughs> it's very different to my <laughs> real <laughs> life persona it's true but you play a, a mage healer you don't go you're not a tank <laughs> since when do i play a mage healer <laughs> i play i play a deep have we have we not been playing borderlands recently have you not noticed okay. how i play only recently sorry When you're playing WoW, I hear stories of you just being a superior healer. What? I think you've got this wrong. I was a a DPS. Usually people people have a DPS character that they play and another character to help things out. I just had two DPS characters. I was just like, more DPS. It's like, I can be more fragile, but do more damage. (laughs) Bring on brittle bones. 
Sorry. I, I have I have since matured and now I build tankier characters so I can run up and smash things in the face. <laughs> okay. We should move on. Okay, next up. Pokemon Sword and Shield. It doesn't have every Pokemon. The major controversy about this one is that only Pokemon in the Galar region Pokedex can be brought into this game. I've said that it's because the Galar region has voted for Brexit and they're saying no foreigners allowed. Only local Pokemon are allowed in the Galar region. Or there's a points-based system. So, you know, if you are a highly skilled Pokemon like Pikachu, they'll let you in. You have too much time. (laughs) What? I feel like you've taken some time to conjure that narrative. I'm sorry, but Bidoof, Bidoof are just taking all the jobs... From supposedly it's for balance reasons. No, no. Supposedly it's really because, again, the production values are getting higher, and there's already eight hundred something Pokemon. And after this game, there'll be like a thousand Pokemon. So they can't realistically make all the Pokemon that have ever existed to the required, you know, degree of quality and balance the game. At some point, they said they had to draw a line under it, and this is that time. I think it's fair. It's a shame, but yeah, I think it's fair too. So is this a truly open-world Pokemon game? I'm not sure. It does appear to have more open-world elements than you know the previous ones. Well, I mean, the previous ones did have their open-world areas too, sort of. But wasn't the dream to have something like Breath of the Wild cross Pokemon? When Breath of the Wild came out. And yes, I guess this is it. Oh, this could be bloody amazing. But I don't think there's ever been... Oh, this is controversial. Has there ever been like a critically acclaimed Pokemon game? Other than all of them? <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I've, only, I've actually only really played like Pokemon Red. I find them really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they are grindfests. We had Sun and Moon, right? We we each had one of Sun and Moon, but I didn't even make it to the first like Pokemon challenge or whatever it was. Because they were like the four island challenges or something. I didn't even make it to the first of them. At this moment, I like the idea of Pokemon more than the actual game itself. The reality. Yeah. Okay. Next up, Kings of Hyrule. The Zelda... Crypt of the Necro Dancer crossover. It's already out. I already bought it and finished it. Again, I think we don't need to go into more detail about it other than that. It's really cool that they made this game. And it was it was featured quite prominently in Nintendo's coverage. Like they made a big deal of it. It's like a proper indie game with Nintendo's blessing. Which is new for Nintendo. Yeah, exactly. It's something they haven't done before. Will we see more stuff like this? Could be interesting. They could have been really burned by it. I don't think so. I think it's done really well. And it's reflected very well on both the Necrodancer devs and Nintendo. How's the music? Excellent. Like, I've been listening to the soundtrack. (laughs) I weirdly really like this is going to sound really weird. I weirdly really like the music for the Glockenspiel boss. No, that could be good actually. Yeah, they just randomly just like play three notes in the Glockenspiel, and it just sounds like really like I don't know, better than you'd expect from a Glockenspiel. Okay, and to finish up, Link's Awakening. I'm surprised how good this looks. Like I thought this was I don't know I just didn't expect much from this but seeing more of the game and seeing it in motion it just actually looks surprisingly good purely aesthetically yeah mostly aesthetically (laughs) but Link's Awakening was actually also a very good game what do you make of the random dungeon mode as a major randomizer fan I think it's quite interesting although it's not exactly random But you kind of build your own dungeons. And then, yeah, there are some elements that I think it randomizes. Like when you have two rooms that go underground, I think it 
it decides what the underground bit's going to be like, or it decides what the enemies are in the room or something. But yeah, will it add longevity to the game or is it just an interesting toy? I don't know. Is it in a certain context or is it a separate mode in itself? It's in a certain context. There's literally a building in the game world and when you walk into it, you make the random dungeons. Okay. Anyway, it's out in September. That's pretty soon. I mean, I don't think I'm going to buy it because I've played <laughs> Link's Awakening before. But we'll see. And that's it? That's it for E3 related stuff. So it's now rapid fire. I check my laser gun and I go pew pew pew! Next gen load times. What about it? Tell me quickly. Sony has patented. Faster. Sony has patented a method for dynamically loading game software for smooth gameplay. Seriously, what the hell? Isn't this just every, you know, thread loading, game streaming, whatever? Aren't there like a million examples of prior art for this? That's what I thought. I mean, I haven't actually read the patent, but I think this is probably just another example of why software patents are stupid. I thought when you said next-gen load times, you were going to talk about all the demos that have been recently showing how, you know, in this game, the maximum travel speed is actually limited because that's how fast they can stream stuff from the disc. And now all the next-gen consoles, which have been announced, are basically all using modern SSDs, and so they can finally have load times comparable to a gaming PC. I do hope they have a game where you're just running at a blistering pace because they can serve it up so quickly now. We should build it. We should, we should build it. <laughs> Just a game where you run really fast in a really boring world. But it'll be all blurry because it's just coming in so quickly. No one will notice. Just put in the motion blur. Well, basically, you can just never stop running. Everything's just <laughs> permanently blurry because you're really just permanently running at top speed. And we should make a VR game because we can. And then it becomes like a challenge. You know, you know, the longer you last, the longer you you stay on your feet and don't throw your guts up. That's how you win. Interesting. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. <laughs> Politely, yes. <laughs> Any more to say about this? Uh, no. Next topic. Postponements for work-life balance. So we have a few examples of this. Nintendo and Animal Crossing. Bungie has pushed back plans to make Destiny 2 gameplay balances. Respawn have made a note to spread out his updates more to avoid employee crunch and burnout. And then on the other side of that is Epic are crunching their devs to push out Fortnite updates. Because it prints money. Yet another reason to hate the Epic Game Store. But still claim they... <laughs> claim their free games. Their free games are yes. weekly now. Can I even be a hypocrite in this one? Yeah, that's right. It's like, oh, Epic. They're such douchebags. They're making their devs crunch. Free games. Yay. So what do you have to say about this? It's sad. I want my updates. What? You're all for crunch. I'm not for crunch, though. I'm just so conflicted. It's sad to see Fortnite winning because it can crunch. I mean, this is why it happens, right? Yes. And like, I'd like to see Respawn do better. I mean, Apex Legends Season 2 is looking good. But are you going to play it? Yeah, probably. So what do you make of all this? Well, you asked me, am I willing to wait? I mean, yeah, I'm willing to wait. I don't have enough time as it is. I think the funny thing about this is that when you sent me these show notes, I just read the section title. I didn't actually read any of the the links. And so I completely misinterpreted what this was about. I thought this was about getting older and postponing playing games because of your work-life balance. You know, like you've only got so many hours, you have to devote this many hours to work, you want to have a life. So 
Gaming is life. Do you have time to play a hundred hour what game? What are you talking about? Gaming is life. There's work and gaming. <laughs> well, I mean, that's all there is if you want to play like every AAA game, I think. Yeah, that's the thing. So, I mean, in light of my comments earlier about Cyberpunk 2077 and my, my fears for enjoying it too much, right? Like, or my comments about Divinity original sin 2 you know i've postponed divinity original sin 2 i've postponed playing it to maintain my work-life balance admittedly some of my life is literally just play six hours of pubg <laughs> but you know that's social too yeah so i'm happy to wait and i also i know what it's like to crunch too hard you know I don't think I could do that again. This is why I'm not cut out for the games industry. I mean, actually, hire me, Jonathan Blow, please. Next up. Subtitles. So Ubisoft published numbers on subtitle popularity, which I thought was really interesting. I'll just run through them. In Assassin's Creed Odyssey, the subtitles are kept on by default, and 95% of players kept them on. And for the, the Division 2, 50% of players turned them on, and I think it peaked at 75%. I don't know how they managed to get 75% from there. And then finally, for Far Cry New Dawn, which again, the subtitles on by default, around 97% of players kept them on. Is this surprising? Hmm... Well, it's like aphantasia all over again. I thought I was the only one who kept them on. Well, it's not. It's the complete opposite. If they're on, I'll keep them on. And if they're not on, I'll turn them on. I just always put the subtitles on. Why? Sometimes it's hard to make out what a character's saying. And you can obviously just read it. And also, I can read way faster than I can hear some actor read out the line so sometimes if it's a game where i don't care particularly much about it i will just read the line and then what? skip the audio dialogue what like in borderlands 2 which we have been playing recently because <laughs> it was like so borderlands 2 they just put out super cheap on like every platform i guess to get people hyped for borderlands 3 but we've been playing through it i don't particularly care about the plot borderlands 2 for me is all about the shooting and the looting surprisingly actually but the characters are fun. The characters are fun, but for whatever reason, I've never really got too immersed in the Borderlands plot. And so I would just glance at the subtitles and then I'll skip. One last thing. Do you turn subtitles on for TV? I have them turned on for Netflix. Okay. For the same reason. I don't think I turn them on on everything. Like, You don't turn them on for Skype chat. What does that mean? You mean like like live transcription <laughs> yeah. of our conversation? No, because that's terrible. Like live transcription is maybe live transcription is always bad because we've got funny accents or we don't have like American accents and that's what it's trained on. I did try and generate transcripts for our podcasts by feeding them into like one of these audio transcription services and it came out absolute garbage. Finally, the Steam Summer Sale. What about it? Well, this summer, Steam has put together a Steam Grand Prix metagame for us. Apparently, you earn points by playing games and completing tasks, but I have no idea <laughs> if that's really the case. I think the Steam sales have been going downhill, right? Steam sales... The discounts used to be amazing, used to have those like flash sales that kept people really engaged or angry because they missed it. And then like the last day of the sale where they put all the best deals back on and the meta games, the meta games actually used to be really fun. Like, do you remember the one that was kind of like an idle game where you had to fight monsters and you had to upgrade your character? And I don't know, this year it just seems bad. This year they changed the mechanics. So the Steam sales have a badge associated with them and you used to make the badge by collecting the trading cards and crafting the badge and then you used to get trading cards from completing your discovery queue or by buying stuff. 
And then this year, they've removed that level of indirection and you can earn points in the Grand Prix by boosting your team, like by putting in the Nitro boosts. And then you can literally just convert those points into badge level. And originally the badge had no upper limit, but now it's capped to level 2000, which is still a ridiculous number. Have you been earning your badge? So I think on day one, they carried over your unspent points from the Lunar New Year sale. So I actually had like 15,000 points. So I just bought badge level 150. (laughs) (laughs) You're helpful. Yeah, I don't know. I just, it just seems kind of dumb. I don't know. It just seems really transparently all about spending money because the points you can get, you can either get them by completing tasks in certain selected games or you can just convert your achievements into points. So if you play a game for more than 30 minutes during the Steam sale, you can just convert the achievements you've earned for that game into points. So I was able to just to convert, you know, like 15,000 points worth of PUBG achievements, for example, because I played that during the Steam sale. But the maximum number of points you can claim each day is only 100 unless you spend money in the sale and that increases your cap until you use those points up so it just feels really like they tried to streamline the event by getting rid of the cards but that just makes it feel like a total cash grab because you know it used to be spend money and get the trading cards and then you can use the cards to craft the badge and now it's just spend money and we'll increase your badge level plus the race mechanic is totally, totally like they should have seen this coming because they should have known that people are idiots. Us included. Including us. <laughs> so the meta game, the meta meta game, the whatever, the, the game that's not about making your badge level higher is the Grand Prix. So there are five. Yes, there are five teams. And basically, you pick your team at the start of the sale. And as you earn these points, you actually spend the points on like nitro boosts to make your selected team race faster. And at the end of every race, 300 people from the number one team and 200 people from the number two team and 100 people from the number three team get the number one item on their wish list. But... This was not very well explained at the start of the sale. Nope. And so this resulted in, A, people removing loads of indie games from their wish list because the indie games tend to be quite cheap. And so people were like, oh, I'm going to get a game from my wish list. Well, I want to make sure I get good value from this win. I'm going to remove all the indie games from my wish list and only put AAA titles that cost loads of money on there. So loads of indie devs were very unhappy about this and then the other major problem is that everybody just piled in on team corgi (laughs) team corgi including us so i would like to say in my defense i knew this was the wrong thing to do from a strategic perspective but i would also like to say i just want to win and team corgi were absolutely crushing it so of course i want to be on the winning team So why would you strategically not pick Team Corgi then? So let's say Team Corgi wins every day. They're going to pick 300 people from Team Corgi. Team Corgi has like 90% of Steam users on it or something. Team Corgi's got like 10 million people on it. So they're going to pick 300 people out of 10 million. Meanwhile, like Team Cockatoo or something, whoever's coming second, has got like 500 people on it or something. Because who wants to be a Cockatoo? And thus, basically, if you come second, your chances of being in that like 200 people who get a game are probably way higher than they are if you win in Team Corgi. I don't know. What can I say? I'm a glory hunter. I wanted to be a Corgi. Corgis are also cute. In response to this, they've nerfed Team Corgi as well. Just to... <laughs> yeah, The worst thing was, I think it was on like day three of the sale, they absolutely nerfed Corgi <laughs> into the ground. They basically said... Oh, we've changed the mechanics a bit to try 
and stop Team Corgi running away, even though they have tiny legs. And on whatever day it was that they said that, Team Corgi came like dead last. Like Team Corgi got absolutely like smashed into the dirt. And even though they had everybody boosting them, the other teams, even though their numbers looked way worse, just absolutely destroyed Team Corgi. But then I think Steam thought, uh-oh, we've, we've made this ridiculous now. Team Corgi can never win. And so they obviously rolled back some of those changes. And now Team Corgi's absolutely <laughs> dominating again. Whatever. It's all a distraction. The entire thing is pointless nonsense. I'm going to go back to my computer and discover <laughs> I've won Cyberpunk 2077 or something. <laughs> is that what's top of your wish list? That is what's top of my <laughs> wish list right now. <laughs> we're only like halfway through the Steam sale. I don't know why we're talking about this, because by the time this episode goes out, it's probably all going to be over. Whatever. I just wanted to say the word Corgi a lot. You can say it one last time. Corgi. We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please, please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please, please, please. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club. On Twitter. At Lost Levels Club. On Twitch. As Lost Levels Club. On Reddit. Slash R slash Lost Levels Club. So, Michael, what are you grateful for today? I am grateful for being part of the biggest protest Hong Kong has ever seen and not getting tear gassed. So, yeah, Hong Kong has like completely gone sideways. But we're still here. There's this extradition law. There were peaceful protests about the extradition law. Everyone wore white. The police said like 20 people turned up. The organizers said a million people turned up. The next weekend, there was another protest against the extradition law. Everybody wore black. The police said, like, oh, maybe 100 people turned up. The organizers said 2 million people turned up. It was a lot of people. It was actually completely ridiculous. I have never seen so many people. Anyway, a little bit later on, other people were annoyed. And thus there was tear gas and rubber bullets it actually got pretty serious and it is continuing to get more serious so who knows what's going to happen next yep who knows what'll happen when mike turns up (laughs) fuck the police (laughs) actually the best thing about it is that the police are so preoccupied with the protests i can jaywalk as much as i like (laughs) so michael says bye bye bye